A couple weeks ago, well, last week, Pastor Corey referred to Pastor Miata as the caring auntie. Um, if some of you were here, she preached a couple weeks ago as the caring auntie, and then he referred to himself as the crazy uncle, the one who comes to the family reunion with Velcro shoes. <laughs> and tonight, I'm the protective mama. <laughs> I don't like it when the enemy comes around this camp, kicking the people of God when they're down. I'm a fighter in the spirit, dressed with the full armor of God, ready to dismantle the lies of the enemy around your life. Anything that sets itself up against the name of Jesus has to come down. And tonight, we're about to see how God is using our temporary trials to refine us and to shine his light through us. For our God is not against us. He is for us. And we've been chosen in the midst of fire and called to live the royal, radiant, refined, removed, and righteous life that he's called us to. This is the title of my message tonight. Chosen in the fire. The royal, radiant refined, removed, and righteous life. As you know, Peter is the author of this book that we've been studying together. And though we've been here in this uh, book for now, what was it, five weeks? Is this the fifth week uh, or so? Um, I just want to, right here, maybe a third of the way through our book study, to remind us who is writing to these churches and who is writing to us. This man, uh, Peter, was first named Simon by his mama until Jesus got a hold of him and renamed him Simon Peter. He's from Bethsaida in Galilee. His brother, and his brother Andrew and he were out fishing when Jesus uh, showed up and said, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to cast your nets, leave them behind, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so they said, that sounds like a good deal. Peter uh, was part of the inner circle of Jesus, his group of disciples. Peter was there at Jesus's transfiguration. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter was the one to say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus pronounces Peter as the rock upon which he will build his church. And then Peter denies Jesus three times, betrays him on the night that Jesus is arrested. How could a betrayal like that be forgiven? Yet, after Jesus' resurrection, he forgives Peter. He reinstates him, giving him the commission to feed my sheep. After Jesus' ascension, Peter plays this crucial role in the early church. He's been called a preacher and a miracle worker, and he's pivotal in spreading the message of the gospel on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples and Jesus, or Peter preaches this sermon that leads so many people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to early tradition, Peter was eventually martyred. He was martyred in Rome during the reign of Emperor Nero. He was crucified upside down at his own request as he reportedly felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus did. Peter's lived through high highs. 
and low lows. His experience walking with Jesus has taught him a whole lot about resilience through the fires and the trials of life. And now with all of that in mind, we drop a pin right down into the early 60s A.D., when Nero, known for persecuting Christians, was ruling over a society with no regard for God or Christianity. Let's stand and read together what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. This is the ESV, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book study. We thank you for an opportunity to take a look at our own lives through, through the filter of this word. God, these scriptures are like a treasure, treasure chest with fine jewels waiting to be unlocked and opened and explored. God, would you help us tonight as we study your word to see ourselves the way that you see us as we walk through trials and fire in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, that's it. We can go home now. (laughs) Anyone here encountering a trial present day, like right now? Oh, wow. Okay, I'm in good company. Uh, anyone experiencing pain or weakness, maybe suffering, maybe you feel like you're walking through a fire. If you do, you're not alone. Christians for centuries have been facing the same kind of things that you and I have. It could be something as simple as, like, today I'm facing a trial. I don't know what's wrong with my voice. I'm not getting sick. It's just not working the way I want it to work. I'm like, for real, God, I'm getting ready to preach. Like, what is going on? How come my voice isn't working the way that I want it to? That's so simple. But it could be something much more serious in your life. But no matter where you fall, Peter is talking to us as believers. He's echoing through centuries a message that he wants the Christians in 60 AD to know, but he wants us to know that in 2023, that we're royal In verse 9a, he says, we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we belong to God. We're chosen. Did you catch that? You are chosen, you're not a last minute pick, you're not a consolation prize, you are a chosen race. When I was in fifth grade, I was the last one picked for the kickball team in P.E., It was so sad. (laughs) I went home crying to my mom and said, they picked me last for kickball. It's kickball. 
They knew I was only on their team because there was no other option. You, you're not God's last pick. You're not his last possible option. You are his first pick. Oh, how amazing it is to know that we are not just wandering aimlessly through life, but we've been chosen by the King of Kings, by the Lord of Lords, hand-picked, deliberately selected for a purpose greater than we could ever imagine. You're not a random accident. You're not your parents' mistake. You are a chosen masterpiece of the almighty God. Your DNA is not just biological, it's heavenly. You've got a divine assignment, a purpose that's been intricately woven into your very being. In the middle of these great trials and suffering, Peter is saying, no matter what you face, you remember you're a chosen race. You've been set into a family of believers. The same way God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same Israel that was his chosen people is now you, his chosen people. And Peter's like, don't you know that you're royal? You're part of a priesthood, a royal priesthood chosen by God. Priests in ancient Israel, they were like intermediaries between God and man. They offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. When, when Peter is saying this, he's saying, God has chosen you to be modern day intermediaries between heaven and earth for the people in your life. This means we're called to intercede for others and share Christ's hope in the middle of the fire, to tell them that Jesus can and will deliver them, that he's with them, that he's not leaving them, that he's not forsaking them. But how can we tell them that if we first don't live it? You see, we're not striving to become somebody. We already are someone. We're a royal priesthood. We're holy ambassadors. We're the first pick. And you've got access to the king's presence tonight. Your prayers, they hold supernatural power. Your faith in Jesus, it's not just a show. It's a royal decree that shifts circumstances between heaven and earth. Peter says you're holy. You're set apart. Peter's reference as a holy nation, it echoes God's call to Israel to be set apart from the surrounding nations. This holiness is not for isolation, it's for transformation. In the same way, we are called to live distinct, holy lives that attract others to Jesus. Our identity as a holy nation is a reminder that we are called to be a living testimony of God's righteousness, his grace, and his character to the world. So, when they invite you to the club, your set-apartness is the reason you don't go. When they curse you out, your set-apartness is the reason you turn the other cheek. When they offer you one more drink, your set-apartness helps you say no to drunkenness. In a world that glorifies sin, our holiness stands as a beacon of light. We're called to live differently, to love differently, to shine our light so brightly that others can't help but be drawn to the God who has transformed us. And then Peter says, you belong to Jesus. I'm not my own. 
I said yes to the master, so that means I'm his masterpiece. He is my Lord, not just my savior. So if he says he's in the trial with me, I believe him. Why are we God's prized possession? Because he died so that we could live. So when I want what I want, the way I want it, how I want it, I have to remind myself I don't belong to myself. I've been bought with a price, which is Jesus's life. So even though we are royal, when suffering strikes, sometimes we still wonder, has God forgotten about me? I want you to remember being chosen doesn't mean having immunity from suffering. It means that we have divine purpose even in the midst of our suffering. Our suffering is an opportunity to demonstrate our faith and trust in God's sovereignty. My mistakes in the past, my current circumstances or my future problems that I don't even know about. I know one thing. They're no match for the God who was, who presently is, and who is to come. So as long as God calls me his chosen, I'll choose him back every day of my life. Peter goes on into verse 9b and he says uh, that God has done all of this so that we could proclaim his excellencies. The excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his light. Church, God has made us radiant. He has made us a radiant people. When Peter penned these words, he was speaking to people that were facing trials thousands and thousands of years ago. Isn't it astounding, though, how relevant these words are to us today? In a world that sometimes seems dark and confusing, God's light shines through you. You are chosen to bring light into the darkness, hope to the hopeless, and love to the hurting world. Let me ask you a question, church. What kind of radiance is in your hand? In the middle of a trial, sometimes we can feel like I have nothing left. I have nothing to offer. It reminds me of the time when my kids were in high school. I was a single mom and there was a whole bunch of like end of year expenses that were coming. And I didn't know how I was going to take care of those things. And I was like, Lord, I have no money. I'm broke. I can't do I was just so down in, on my luck and I was upset with God. And he asked me, Tiffany, what do you have in your hand? And I said, I don't have anything in my hand or in my bank account. He's like, no, 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 no. What is in your hand? And I was like, oh, well, I can just, I don't know what's in my hand. I can share with someone what you've done in my life. He's like, yeah, what's in your hand? I want you to share what's in your hand. So I stood in the lobby for the next four weeks after church, and I found the, the women in the room who would come late and leave early. None of y'all are that because y'all are here tonight on Wednesday night. But I would stand in the lobby and I would look for who's leaving out of here early that just maybe looks like they, they need a pick-me-up. And I would stand by them and say, hey, what is your name? I want to get to know you. I'm actually starting a small group. That is what was in my hand. That group of women became disciples of Jesus. They became disciples of Jesus who have stories of their own now that they're sharing in the world. What is in your hand? 
Are you ready for this testimony that's going to set your soul on fire? You were plucked out of darkness and catapulted into his marvelous light. Your story is one of transformation from brokenness to breakthrough, from pain to purpose. You're not just surviving, you are thriving in the brilliance of God's grace. Your past does not define you. His light does. You're a walking miracle, a testament to the power of God's transformation and get ready to be used by God to shine his light into places that are dim. What is in your hand? Peter goes on in verse 10 and he says, you've been refined. You're not what you used to be. I used to be a nobody and God gave me his last name. He made me somebody. He's made us into a people to be used for his glory and to make his name great in the earth. I said, he's made us into a people to be used for his glory, to make his name great in the earth. There was a time in my life when I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. What is mercy? It's God's withholding of punishment for the things that I deserve. He's he's holding back his punishment. There's a time in my life when that was not the case. So when I'm looking at the trial and I'm looking at the fire, I can thank God for what I do have. And that is the mercy of Almighty God. And that is a place in the family of God. I know a lady who, um, she was experiencing persecution on her job. And, you know, some of you might be in that place right now, but this lady was really, like, her boss was wicked. And um, she was so upset. She would come home from work crying every day, and finally she brought it to me. She said, hey, <clears throat> Pastor Tiffany, I think I need to quit my job. Like, I've been, I've been working in this government position for 25 years, but I think I need to retire early because this, I just can't, like, I can't do it. And I said... Okay, well, I'll pray with you about that, but I want to submit to you. Perhaps the same mercy that God has extended to you, he's wanting to extend to your wicked boss. Maybe you are the only Jesus she will ever see. And she looked at me and said, I said, how many years till you retire? Like, for real. She said, 10. I said, girl, you better get your money. Don't you know some months later, she was offered a promotion in a different department. When she accepted, her boss came to her and told her, you're the most efficient, kind, calm, and hardworking employee I've ever had. She said, I know this promotion will take you out of my department, but I want to say thank you. I know I wasn't the easiest person to work for. When you submit to being refined in persecution... God takes care of the rest. Woo! God made us heirs. Like we are heirs. We have heritage. We have inheritance. That means that I'm not a slave to my old ways. 
I'm not a slave to my thought patterns or my old tendencies. I'm no longer bound by other people's opinion of me. I'm not not bound by how I can perform for them or what they think of me. I'm defined by God's mercy, by his grace, and by my association with y'all, the people of God. So when the enemy comes with lies and doubt and fear, I can remind him that those things no longer have a hold of me because I'm not what I used to be. By the grace of God, I will not be what I am going to be. You're not what you used to be. And then in verse 11, Peter says, not only have you been refined, but you've been removed from this world. See, we're in the world, but we're not of it. When we said yes to Jesus, we stepped out of the worldly realm, the earthly realm, and into the kingdom of God that's eternal. Another pa- other, other translations in this, in this um, passage in verse 11 say, sojourners, we're exiles, aliens, pilgrims, or foreigners, or not belonging to this earth. In other words, you're not from around these parts. You're a citizen of heaven, a tourist just passing through this earthly journey. You're not defined by the culture around you. You're defined by the creator within you. Don't get too attached to the things of this world and don't be surprised when you don't fit in because you were not meant to. Hello. 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 I I remember like um, when I was early in my walk, with Jesus, I had to set some parameters around my life ahead of time for situations that I may find myself in so that I could live holy, <laughs> so that I could stay removed from the world. I remember one time um, I met this guy, we were going to go out to dinner, and I didn't want to, like him to come to my house, so I told him, I'll meet you in the parking lot at your apartment, and then you can drive. And so we went out, and when we got back, he said, oh, okay, cool, you want to come upstairs? And I was like... Do I want to? Yes. <laughs> Am I going to? Marcus said no. <laughs> I love that, babe. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> I told him, nah, I don't go into apartments alone with men ever. He literally looked at me like, like I was an alien. Like he, he was like, what? He's like, what do you think I'm going to like? take advantage of you or something? I said, I don't know what you're going to do because I don't know you like that. But I know my flesh and it can't be trusted. So no, thank you. He looked at me like, what? I've never had nobody. I was like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. You ain't the one anyway. (laughs) It's all right. No second date for you. See, my identity is not found in what's temporary. It's anchored in what's eternal. I've got a kingdom passport, baby. My allegiance is to a higher authority. So on the battlefield where selfish passions and flesh meet the holiness of God, it gets really real. But guess what? You're not fighting alone. The spirit of God inside of you is greater than the battle happening on the outside of you. 
Those passions of the flesh, they don't stand a chance against the power of God's truth. You're armed and dangerous. Every temptation you encounter is an opportunity for a victory dance. So when the temptation of lust and greed and deceit show up to wage war against your soul, we will call on the name Jesus. We will resist the enemy and he will flee from us. And then in verse 12, Peter calls us to be righteous, to live the righteous life. He says, keep your conduct honorable, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, look at this powerful call to live a life that shines brightly in a world that desperately needs light. Peter's words, they're echoing through the halls of time, urging us to live in such a way that those who observe us are drawn to the goodness of God. When Peter speaks of good deeds, he's not just talking about easy, surface-level actions. He's talking about the good that arises from a heart that's been tested by fire. We're not just talking about good deeds as actions. We're talking about the heart being transformed in the fire of life. Our acts of kindness and perseverance and unwavering faith in Jesus, these are the flames that light the pathway that inspire others to know that our God is real. And I want you to know wherever you stand tonight, whatever trial you're facing We serve a God who doesn't abandon his warriors in the heat of a battle. Our lives are living sermons that declare, I've been chosen by God to walk through this fire, and he's going to make me more like him in the process. Can you feel the challenge and the opportunity? Our conduct, it matters. How we live our lives when we're walking through trials becomes the testimony of God's faithfulness to the world. Any one of these worship leaders or pastors can tell you, People see us in public all the time, and they watch us from afar. And they look to see, are we going to be what we talk about? Is the word that we preach from this pulpit and the songs that we sing from the stage really how we live our lives? I remember I was in Target. (laughs) By the way, I don't want to be seen in Target or Wegmans. I just want to go there to shop and go home. But inevitably, every time I go, I see somebody, right? So I walk into Target, and um, it's my day off. And I get to the cash register, and this lady goes, Pastor Tiffany, you're, you, you, you go to Grace, you're at Grace, right? I said, yeah. She said, I saw you come in the door. I've seen you several times through the, and I was like, and now you wait till now? So I'm thinking in my head, like, did I, did I say anything? Did I do anything? Like, like, people are watching your life. When you go to work, they are watching your life. Your kids are watching your life. They're listening to how you speak to others. How are we glorifying God with our life? Let's never, ever forget this, that we are ambassadors of Christ. Our lives are the canvas on which God's love and grace are painted for the world to see. We are walking canvases of his grace. So what am I saying tonight? It's not the fires of life that determine our worth. 
It's the hands that are holding us through it. Just as heat in the fire transforms raw materials into useful tools, our trials transform us into instruments used in the hand of God. God's fire is refining and defining and shaping and exposing. These trials that we face are meant to weed out sin and sinful tendencies and weaknesses and give us an opportunity to rely on the grace of God like never before. And when we do that, we grow in holiness, we grow closer to God, we become more like him, and we become reflectors of the glory to the world around us. You know, for me, I recently, maybe last year, was in yet another trial, in yet another fire. And at 46 years old, I asked God, like, why me? Like, my life seems like a constant (laughs) trial. Like, at everywhere, every turn that I go, like, what is going on? And he said, oh, Tiffany, don't you know? With every trial you've walked through, I've been shining my image into you. Oh, my daughter, don't you know that I've held your hand through every one of them? Oh, daughter, don't you know I'm making you a mosaic for my glory. When I sit in pastoral meetings or discipleship meetings with young ladies who are walking through the very same trial that I walked through 20 years ago, I can look in their eyes and see myself and say, thank you, God. Thank you for bringing me through and for being a beacon of hope for others who need to come through. When we live the royal, radiant, refined, removed, righteous life, we are able to withstand the heat and emerged, transformed. I want to reflect the beauty that comes from surviving the fire. And when I come out, and I am coming out, And when you come out and you are coming out, God, we want our lives to be a megaphone that amplifies your goodness in the earth. Help us, God. Help us to change our perspective. Show us, God, what you're doing in the middle of these trials. So with every head bowed, I just want you to ask yourself, which area in my life is God working on? How have I believed the lies of the enemy How is he refining me, making me radiant?
How is he reminding me that I'm called to a righteous life full of promises that are yes and amen? Here's our life, a canvas, a ball of clay that you're molding and making into something beautiful. Lord, would you deliver us from ourselves and help us to see your beauty in the midst of suffering. We know you're with us. We trust you. We thank you for realigning us tonight in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.